welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me for this episode, back from his hiatus, is Sean. Hello, good evening. And joining us from the great city of Melbourne, Australia, is Hamish. Hamish, welcome back. Hey, how you going? Doing good. Back-to-back episodes for Hamish. Yeah, people must be getting sick of me. But again, I, I this is like, I, I've been here for a year now. Yeah, frequent frequent guests now for over a year. Mm. We'll have to change you up to uh, regular guest star status instead of you know special guest, like they do in the TV shows. Uh, of course, yes. Yes, I will. I will erase Sean's face in the logo and replace it with yours. Oh, that's just mean. <laughs> well, this week Hamish uh, shared with us something from his childhood, and we watched an episode of the Australian children's classic Round the Twist. And more specifically, we watched one of the more popular episodes entitled Spaghetti Pig Out. It originally aired May 2nd, 1989 on ABC. Is that correct, Hamish? Yes, it is. On the Australian Broadcasting Commission. Yes. Oh, okay. Not our American ABC. I saw that in the Wikipedia entry and ABC. I'm like, I don't remember this being on ABC ever. It it, it actually did very briefly air in America. I want to say 1997. Uh, hmm. on Fox Kids, it must have been 4.30 in the morning on Saturday, because I had never seen it. And uh, <laughs> it was quickly taken off, because I guess the ratings were terrible. Uh, they just didn't understand the jokes in the Australian culture. I, I think that's probably a, a very large part of it, because it it's is a great show. A, yeah, it's just too much of a, a, a huge gap between American and Australian culture. And it, <laughs> it, no, this and it's, the show went for quite a number of seasons. I was really surprised, actually. Yeah, but um, um, there are huge gaps like in between kind of each one, okay. um, which explains why you have the cast changing. And series 1 is different from Series 2, and, and I think it was maybe like eight years since Series 3 and 4 came along, but by Series 3 and 4, uh, Paul Jennings, who was, I guess, the original mind behind uh, Round a Twist, uh, left, and so they couldn't use any of these stories. And mm. Series 3 and 4 utilized the same cast, but the stories were very, I don't know, not, not in the same sort of ballpark is series one series two like they're very a, a lot more child friendly for i guess was it the mid 2000s ish era yeah series one was 1989 series two 1992 and then all the way series three and four was 2000 and 2001 mm. so quite a gap it's just strange to have a, a child a children's show go even that many series scott and i were talking about this about some of nickelodeon shows are, are similar to this in the same kind of vein, such as Salute Your Shorts, or mm. what was the other one, Scott, we're talking about? Oh, uh, Welcome Freshman was another Welcome one. Welcome Freshman. Some of the shows that are on uh, were on Nickelodeon. And I know for a fact, when I was watching those as a kid, same time period as this, or maybe a little bit, you know, 90, 91, they were pretty popular shows. I mean, kids all knew about them, but even Nickelodeon had a strict, like, two-season limit for shows like that. Even if they're doing extremely well in the ratings, they just killed them at two seasons for some reason. The kids grow up, you know. Things, yeah. You know, it's it's hard to sustain a show where the cast is primarily young children. Mm, yeah, true, it, it, true. it gets kind of, um, I guess, it was like a filming rules things like that. Like you can't have kids late at night. You can't film late at night using children. Yeah. Uh, those kind of rules. But I think with Round of Twist, it's more because it got this huge popularity, especially series one, and series two, series three and four. Not so much. Didn't have the same sort of cult status. Uh, thanks to repeats, because ABC would just repeat it over and over and over and over again uh, <laughs> on uh, afternoon programming, as you call it. Uh, so yeah, basically kids got into it 
like at least like once a year or maybe twice maybe three times a year you'd see the same episodes the same series again and again and again and this thing like we liked it that that much and that has that kind of cult status so abc knew exactly what they were doing by just repeating it over and over again but um yeah, that's what i was gonna ask you hamish so this show around the twist was was very well known in australia around this time period uh yeah like it was a household thing basically yep. Yeah, wow. like most people know the the theme music off by heart by now. Well, it's it's so catchy. I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> That's about my favorite part of the whole thing. Now, it, this this show actually did resonate with me. Uh, Hamish had introduced me to this show a while back, and uh, as he mentioned, it was written by Paul Jennings. At least the first two series were, and he was a children's storybook author. And uh, in fact, the spaghetti pig out story that uh, we're covering in this episode this week. Uh, it came from his book of short stories called Uncanny! Exclamation point. Now, in fifth grade, my teacher read us the stories from his uh, other book called uh, Unreal! Exclamation point. And uh, they, oh, I was surprised to hear that a lot of those short stories were episodes of Round the Twist. So when Hamish was telling me about some of these great episodes, you know, that he had seen when he was younger, I'm like, I, I know how this story ends, right? You know, there's one about uh, tiny underpants on a, on a little frog. And it's like, oh, of course, I remember all this stuff. And then uh, I went back and looked on Amazon to see, you know, the, the stories. And yeah, Cow Dung Custard was another one I remember from that book. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of toilet humor, you know, that's something we didn't really get on a lot of uh, American shows. Uh, even now, you know, that's something still standards and practices frowns on. But uh, wow, it's everywhere in this series. Yeah, it, it's it's got that kind of Australian charm about it. I guess the whole difference between uh, Australian TV and American TV. Well, most American shows are very safe, and especially the kid shows are very uh, uh, soft, I want to say. Like, if mm-hmm. there's something that has to be disgusting, it's like green goop, and it's like, you know, hyper-colored or whatever. Yep. Uh, in this, yeah, you still have that, but usually <laughs> either coming from an animal or a bird or something like that. <laughs> And, you know, the kids just have to deal with it, like, in, I think, episode one, where Pete loses his uh, false tooth, and then he has to go down to this uh, waste surge <laughs> farm to collect another one from just this collection of teeth that they found in the toilets. So, you know, they go down there, and they have to, he cleans off and boils it for, like, you know, an hour or so, just so he can put it back in his mouth, so he doesn't get in trouble with his dad. And that's Skeleton it, and the Dunny, right? Yeah, it's Skeleton and the Dunny. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, ep- episode one. But that's it. it hmm. it's, it's that kind of... Uh, humor and comedy were the fact that at that time, I mean, they weren't worried about that. Like, I mean, it's, this this stuff happens, and it's like, where would you get teeth if you're a, a young kid or if you're kids trying to cover up for the fact that you lost your tooth? Yeah, you'd you'd, you'd go. Where does all this stuff go to? Oh, waste waste sewage plant, and that's where they go. So it's that kind of logical uh, way of thinking, but for the young audiences. You know, if you, if they had money, they'd probably just go to dentist get a new one, but they obviously can't. So they have to kind of follow this logical progression going, what could we do to cover up for this, you know, a mistake, but also trying to explain to your dad you got scared by a ghost and all these bits and pieces in between. <laughs> uh, yeah, it has a kind of charm about it. Yeah, I mean, this this family, the Twist family, they don't seem to, you know, have that much materially. Obviously, they, they have to live in a lighthouse in mm. Port Miranda, is it? Yeah, Port Miranda. And he's a, he's a struggling artist, and he's a single father. So, uh, you know, maybe he has to do it this way. Yeah. Now, I'm assuming that Port Miranda is not based on a, a real location, or is that... Port Miranda uh, obviously doesn't exist, but it's actually mm-hmm. Split Point. It's, at okay. Aries, it's, a, it's the Split Point Lighthouse, 
That's what the location you use. It's in Aries Inlet in Victoria. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Have you been yeah, to so, that? Oh, years ago. <laughs> it, it is one of those kind of tourist attractions for Australians when they see it. And it's like, hey, it's a lighthouse from around a twist. To anybody else, it's just a lighthouse, which served its purpose to, you know, stop ships from crashing to the shore. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, it, they, they utilized, um, especially the Victorian uh, town, uh, Aries Inlet, uh, for most of the shooting locations. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's um, interesting to have this show, which... You know, it, it exists for you know uh, young adults, and yeah, now I'm an adult now, uh, and I can go actually go back to the location, and look at it, and have these memories of these insane stories happening. So it, it's great because like they don't need they didn't need to build anything, they didn't need to create anything separate. It's it's literally the whole uh, uh, the whole I guess icon of the show is the, that lighthouse, which still exists yeah. today, and you can actually get tours. That's cool. I think the closest thing we have to that here is the Bull and Finch Pub in Boston, which is the exterior shot of the the show Cheers. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's our big thing. <laughs> yeah, and they recreated the interior, but it's not the same. No, it was. I don't think it was filmed there. <laughs> no, no, no. It was just it was on a soundstage somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but you can still see the exterior of it. Yeah. Which is still there. Yep. To this day, mm. I think it, they actually rebranded it Cheers, right? I believe. I think it's still Bull and Finch, but you can is still it? buy all kinds of Cheers merchandise inside. Like, I went yeah. with Paul one time, and we got shot glasses, and, you know, he bought a whole bunch of stuff to bring back to Pennsylvania. I know they have a bunch of Cheers locations throughout Boston. Oh, yeah. Get some uh, income off the name and off the uh, merchandising, like you said. If you get some cash, everybody knows your name. That's right. <laughs> now, I got a question about the name of the show, Round the Twist. Of course, the, you know, we know the family's name is Twist. Mm. Is that a... Round the Twist, is that a an Australian saying, or, I mean, does it mean something... I have a second meaning besides the name of the, the family. Oh, yeah. It means you're going crazy. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You'd say that guy's going around the twist. Oh, yeah, okay. He's, he's gone off the deep end. Very interesting. Yeah, totally <laughs> yeah. lost on us. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how part of it is uh, as well. That's why this song also works really well. I mean, it has that kind of, you know, uh, the double meaning of, you know, the family school twist, but also if you're going crazy. And plus, many of the situations in this show are, is pretty crazy. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. There we go. You, you think Tony Twist on the first episode would be like, you know what? Something weird is going on here. Something's happening to us. Uh, every it seems every week. All right, we're out of here. I, I don't care. I, I don't care how yeah. cheap this lighthouse is. I, I'm out of here. No, but that's the best thing about it. Like uh, all the adults are played like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> the only ones who are clued in are the kids. Yeah, they're not. You know realizing that there's maybe a pattern to these issues going on and they should talk into it or call you contact the authorities or something. It's just <laughs> taken for course. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's the kind of um, style the show was. It's mostly, you know, geared towards kids or, you know, young teenagers. So, you know, all these adventures were very much geared towards their experience and through their eyes. If you had adults, they'd probably look at everything logically. I mean, most of the adults who uh, fall into one of these stories, especially if you see Mr. Gribble, Who's you know he, he he's kids who are horrible compared yeah. to Tony. Well, Tony is just an artist, and these days you probably think us are, are very aloof. You know, any one of these two characters kind of getting involved in, and the weirdness that the kids get involved in, seem befuddled and confused by all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and then I go like, oh, this must be magic. No, it's like, the heck is this? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's great it's because you see it through mostly the kids' eyes, and that kind of wild-eyed imagination really works for the show. All right, so I think we should start this episode. We should get right into it. Uh, we open with uh, like an opening sequence that has a lot of clips from the show, and we get that Round the Twist theme song, which is sung by Tamsin West, who is actually the girl that plays Linda. Yeah, the original Linda. 
Yeah, and I guess even though she had been replaced, other actresses played Linda, they still used Tamsin West's rendition of the theme song throughout all four of the series. It, it works better that way, because again, if you kept on changing it all the time, I know you'd have that kind of... I know, it, it wouldn't feel the same. I think no. that's 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 yeah, one of the hallmarks of the show. show. What's going on. Yeah. Mm. It's like if you kept on changing the Simpsons theme music. <laughs> Which they do for the Australian episode at the end, anyway. Didgeridoo rendition. Oh yeah, but that's yeah, that that that's always the ending. Yeah, yeah, the ending. It's much different. Yeah, completely different. Yeah, but also that's... beforehand, um, this show is made by uh, the Australian Children's uh, Television Foundation, uh, which the head office is actually here in Melbourne. I mean, I could probably just walk up to yeah. it if I needed to. Uh, but they made up a whole bunch of other shows in Australia as well. Like they were, they were usually involved in most of the most of the things that kids remember as a good TV show. Like there's a show called Lift Off here. Which was another kid show. Again, it utilized. It was kind of a mixture between like a Sesame Street, like utilized puppets and utilized kids' imaginations, and mostly involved stories told through the eyes of kids. Uh, and they also did another show called uh, Ginny from Down Under, which you know, if that name doesn't get you into the show, I don't know what will. <laughs> Basically, about these was it father and son genies who was it live inside an opal or a magic opal at Grant wishes to this girl every week, but um. Uh, it, it's those uh, if you ever see that on any kind of uh, t- uh, Australian children's TV show, it, it or usually it was kind of like that seal of quality, I guess, when you're a kid and you see that you know the Australian Children Television Foundation were making something. I mean, it's hard enough to get an Australian show made, but uh, seeing that just meant like you know thanks to shows like Round a Twist, you know, there's a certain how do I put it <laughs> reliability, high yeah, high caliber and reliability that you're going to watch a show which is going to be uh, quite entertaining. Huh. So it's kind of like the American PBS system, where we have, you know, where Sesame Street is basically on, and what it was founded on, we have the same kind of shows, and if you think of PBS, you don't think of something like, I don't know, The Walking Dead or anything <laughs> like that, you're not going to get that kind of of programming no matter what, it's, it's a lot of Sesame Street type shows, and Mr. Rogers, and that sort of thing, that, you know, like you said, same kind of thing, seal quality, they know what they're getting when you get, you know, a PBS program. Yeah, and that's what happened like yeah. um, with the Australian Television Foundation, which yeah, thanks to Round a Twist, yeah, has made a whole bunch of other great shows. Was Round so Round a Twist was basically the starting point, you would say, for these other shows? Uh, it it helped because like you see that show and you see the kind of blend of uh, adult humor and uh, uh, child humor, and you're able to create this entertaining show. Like it wasn't you know you, you, whenever you watch these episodes, they were quite fun like i can still watch them today and i never get bored about them i I never go oh this is stupid but the other thing about it is that you know most of the characters do things the old-fashioned way we'll have to say it because this is before mobile phones and kids were distracted that kind of stuff so they had that kind of charm about kids not being hung up on their mobile phones or taking the easy way by just you know typing into google or something like that yeah 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 I got a question. We know the um, the characters and the actors and actresses who played the characters, the Linda, the Pete, Bronson. As far as you know, Hamish, have they gone on to anything else in either Australian um, cinema or TV besides uh, Around the Twist? We we couldn't find much in like IMDb or on the resources on our end. I don't know if they were figures. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, from th- that point onwards for, I guess, Series 1, 2, and three uh and four but um yeah most of the actors um no i can't exactly say like, off the top of my head what they're doing now i'm sure it's insulting to say that <laughs> where it's just like i don't know what they're doing i don't keep an eye on their work it's it's more to the fact like yeah it, it's kind of like the, the supporting cast of the show uh like mark mitchell who played mr gribble in series two three four 
he's well known in Australia uh, as a comedic actor. And he, again, he appears in a lot of Australian children television foundation shows as basically like, you know, either the you know, antagonist. But uh, beyond that, yeah, the, the main cast kind of haven't really appeared in too much stuff beyond that. Uh, what mm. I can recall is that uh, Bronson from series two of Round of Twist, he actually went off and became a director and started directing episodes of uh, the TV show Neighbours. You guys know it? I don't well, he directed know. episodes of uh, <laughs> Neighbours in Australia here. I uh, actually went on to direct a show that you might know, Modern Family. Oh, wow, he's yeah. Direct, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's directed episodes for uh, that TV show there. So he kind of moved on from acting to directing. Now, just going back to this episode, we open after this opening sequence with a distant shot of the lighthouse there at Port Miranda during a nighttime thunderstorm. And we see lightning strikes the lighthouse and the electricity travels all around the interior of the house. It's jumping from appliance to appliance until it finally settles in the television remote. And now superimposed on this shot, we get the title of the episode, Spaghetti Pig Out, written, of course, in spaghetti. Now, um, just as a background, is the, the, the Twist family, do they, are they the lighthouse keepers of this lighthouse? Or they just live in the lighthouse? Uh, they just live, around live in the lighthouse. So from, they don't um, actually maintain it, or they're not lighthouse maintainers no, or keepers. No, no and, okay. and unfortunately, they're not the. Uh, the it doesn't function anymore as a lighthouse. Oh, I see. Yeah, because okay. in, in episode one, basically covers this. It's basically, you know, the family moved into the lighthouse because it's cheap. Which, assumedly, it doesn't make sense. But <laughs> for the for the for the heck of the, for the heck of the story, sure, just keep going. The I think the the mother died, and they've moved into a new place, the lighthouse. I guess more to escape their problems. Let's say that. Yeah. But no, they don't, they're not manning it like a typical lighthouse. So we next cut to the school the next morning as one of the kids, Tiger, Tiger Gleason, he's one of the uh, group of bullies that hangs out with the Gribble Kid. He announces to the student body that a contest will be held to raise money for a new school gymnasium. And this is the third annual Great Spaghetti Pig Out. The first prize is a 10 speed bike donated by Mr. Gribble. Now, obviously, the the Gribbles are the antagonists of the show. Hamish, what can you basically tell the uninitiated uh, listener or viewer about the Gribble family and their role in the show? The Gribble family are basically the rich people in town. Uh, and Gribble's basically, he, he's a, a real estate agent for, and basically buys and sells land. And that's how he makes money. Yet he's synonymous for being a bit of a, you know, a bit of a jerk. Him and his family. It, it's interesting because his character goes through a whole... A range of development. Like, he wants to buy the lighthouse and turn it into a casino. And, you know, he wants to ki- wants to kick the Twist family out of there. I don't know why you want to build a casino, on the, you know, right on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. Uh, be ridiculous. But he's one of those kind of land developers. He wants to, you know, revolutionize Port Naranda to be more like, you know, Las, Las Vegas and be different. Which, you know, you, d- you don't need a casino down there. I, I mean, you know, it's good for him to try and get money back into the economy down there. But he seems to be very confused by it. But his kids also at the same time are, uh, well, his kid James is a bit of a tearaway, a little bit of a lying, selfish jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what he is. He's, he's basically that uh, antagonist to the Twist family. So they need some competitors for this contest, and at first no one is brave enough to sign up, but James Gribble volunteers his friend Rabbit. And Rabbit kind of goes back and forth with Pete Twist, uh, and Pete decides, okay, sign me up too. Now, Tiger says that he would volunteer, but he's on doctor's orders to rest his mouth. And the kids pelt him with crumpled paper and all (laughs) Mm. kinds of stuff. 
And, uh, you know, obviously he has a, a reputation as a motor mouth, so that's kind of a, a reference to that. Yeah, he's a, he's a bit of a chatterbox. <laughs> so we next cut to the lighthouse where Tony Twist, who's also called Dad. I, do, do they call him Tony or Dad primarily? Hamish. They call they call him Dad. Anybody else usually like you know, who, who don't know him obviously call him Tony. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just feel weird referring to him as Dad as we go through this. <laughs> so he's not your dad. No, he's not. Thank okay. goodness, because uh, we cut to the lighthouse and Tony Twist is working on his newest piece of art, uh, which which really confused me when I saw it. Yeah. You, uh, you didn't know what he was doing. Well. Yeah, I kind of got the idea right away what he was doing, but why he was doing it was, uh, you know, I guess my question. It, it's basically uh, a <laughs> kitchen waste. Celery, beans, it looks like, um, you know, pieces of anything you'd find around the kitchen that would be in the trash. So the father is basically doing kind of a Jackson Pollock on the ground, you know, creating something out of using, you know, a mess of things. But also mm-hmm. he's kind of doing a, a variation on uh, the Australian artist uh, called Pro Heart. And years ago, like he, he he made this like kind of work that if you see what uh, the father's doing, he's kind of making work in that kind of same vein. So I guess he's borrowing a certain style, that certain uh, eclectic kind of mess of a style. But Pro Heart was in this commercial for an Australian carpet years ago, where he did the same thing. Like he used food and other objects just to make like a, a great mural on this big piece of carpet. And then the cleaner comes in and goes. Oh, Mr. Hart, and cleans it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the time, I think that, that ad was around at that same time. But, uh, yeah, that's what he's doing. He's, he's making kind of that um, messy artwork on the floor, even if he's using his cat at the same time. Yeah, interesting. Because, yeah, the cat kind of walks around and in the middle of it. Now, a- as this is going on, we see Tony's three children enter the room, the Twist family. We see Pete and Linda, the two oldest. They are twins. And the youngest son, Bronson. And, uh, Great name. Yeah. So, one question I had, Hamish, is uh, mm. very briefly you could see when they kind of go to the fridge to get a snack or something to drink. Mm. Uh, we see a bumper sticker on the fridge that says "Stop Uranium Mining." Yeah. So was that uh, quite the uh, big issue in Australia in the late eighties? Yeah, still it still was a big issue then. And so yeah, you can see just from that sticker that you know the family are pretty outspoken about those sort of things. So yeah, as was mentioned, the cat kind of comes in, the neighbor's cat walks in and on top of the artwork, and it's really not until the cat starts walking around and kind of smearing it that Tony is actually pleased with the results. So he next throws the cat out of the way and across the room, where its paw just so happens to hit the fast-forward button on the remote that we saw at the beginning of the episode. And it fires off this beam at a housefly on the wall, and the family watches as it just kind of flies around the room at incredible speed and eventually straight through a plate glass window. I just like the reaction of the family. Like, the dad just sits there at the celery and starts chomping on the thing he was just using for his art. And they're just watching it, you know. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, they, they all kind of get bemused by this really fast-moving fly. But again, like we all do in Australia, you know, especially during summer when you get bored and you notice a fly being really strange and making kind of like a square pattern in the air or something like that. <laughs> So uh, while this is happening, Bronson is also uh, looking through a book. He's talking about this contest. He's looking up various uh, speed-eating records. And he tells his siblings that they need to work out a strategy. So he's very invested in Pete's involvement in this contest. Yeah, because he loves food. (laughs) Is that a hallmark of uh, Bronson's character is to eat? 
Yeah, it's funny because like uh, through Pete, Linda, and Bronson, they they all have a certain character base, uh, which changes from series one to series two, kind of, because in series one you have the kids have a personality where I think Pete kind of just wants to be slightly popular and kind of a rock star, and then Linda's more or less your what's it? She she's in karate in series one, like you know she's like the mm-hmm. athletic karate type, uh, and Bronson was kind of still a bit of a, you know, a, a greedy guts kind of kid, you know, who loves food. And then in series two, uh, Pete became more of like a, a whimpering mess, strangely enough. Uh, and then Linda was more of the brave uh, alternative thinker. And then Bronson was more disgusting <laughs> than he was in series one, which explains in the episode, was it, I think, uh, Smelly Feet? Where he basically is using his feet to, as a weapon to, you know, deter <laughs> the gribble kids. Uh, well, James and the gang to stop from uh, stop from uh, kidnapping a uh, turtle oh, in that okay. episode i'm just recounting an episode now but yeah it's a, there's <laughs> a certain personality shift but they still kind of have the same vein so we next cut to a barn where we see bronson and pete are hiding behind bales of hay and they look on as james gribble and tiger are now force feeding their friend rabbit canned spaghetti as a way of preparing him for the contest i felt so bad for this kid yeah. who's the actor <laughs> I, I hope they can get this in one take because <laughs> he looks miserable just doing it. I know he's acting, but still, just force feeding this the spaghettios down his throat. Yeah, basically, he's 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 acting. He's not exactly always eating it, eating food on on camera. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty hard because you have to kind of keep that consistency. So it's like you know, if your character takes a bite of a sandwich and then talks to somebody, and then you have to do the scene again, they have to give you a fresh sandwich for you to take a bite out of and do yeah, it again. Yeah. So I'm I'm not sure he's eating <laughs> eating all that spaghetti. Yeah, it it just looks very uncomfortable, and he, the other you know tiger's manipulating his face and they're trying to <laughs> shove it down his throat. It just looks very um uh, it's a very hard sell if I was an actor. He's a very good actor to be able to put up with that, in my opinion. And he's on his back. We should mention too. He's moaning. He's on his back, and these kids are over him. Eat it, eat it. Like you said, mushing his face. <laughs> At least they're heating it up first. They have that pot going. Yeah, yeah, they have the, the decency. Yeah, yeah, I like that. They, they don't have the a microwave. They have an old-fashioned, you know, setup. Yeah, <laughs> in a in a barn, which is a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> tons it, of hay it, bales it, around. Yeah, fire <laughs> inside the barn, surrounded by all the hay. Yeah, it's it's great. It's safe. Uh, and the the twist boys are just disgusted by what they're seeing. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> now, from here, we see Pete calculating the logistics of spaghetti speed eating on his Atari computer. This was pretty great. Jealous. That's right. Yep. We had Atari technology down here. Yeah, that was awesome. The animation on that thing, like he actually had to design some sort of yeah you know, software program. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for a kid that age to design a program to display how to eat and the mathematical equations behind having to eat at that volume, I guess. One second. One thing I found about interesting about that or funny was that they showed the picture of the uh, the human body and digestive system. Mm-hmm. And usually they would stop right at the the stomach, you know. But it goes right through to the, you know, through the <laughs> the the bowels and everything else. It's like, and the the uh, the frequency of eating was I think he had in there one plate per second. Yeah, was the uh, on the on the monitor. It was his projected consumption. I mean, that's that's very ambitious mm. um, <laughs> for his brother to consume one plate per second. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because, you know, not only did they, I guess, design this software or this program, but he's eating spaghetti as fast as he can with wires and electrodes attached to his head. 
and they're they're like calculating chew ratio and we see Bronson looking at a printout you know it's telling you know it took you 20 minutes to eat eight plates it's too slow these kids are doing a very very detailed analysis they're doing it as detailed as possible especially with a dot matrix printer yes of course god dot matrix that i mean i i'm i know this show's old but you know that kid in the dot matrix printer i mean he had to refill that thing up. He has to get if he wants to get rid of the <laughs> things on the side. He has to kind of tear them off slightly. But yep. it's all about science at this point. Yep. So next we see Pete at the top of the lighthouse, and he's eating one incredibly long single strand <laughs> of spaghetti. It's actually smaller ones that they've taken the time to tie together, and it's coiled from a bucket below. So he's just you know eating. I guess all the the height of the lighthouse i guess that's supposed to strengthen his muscles and bronson is yelling up to him on a bullhorn and giving him encouragement and also uh, nell who is the the twist neighbor she's uh, looking on yeah i was thinking about the logistics of this do you think he he lowered the bucket to the ground and started eating that way or did he somehow throw the spaghetti up initially to it's a good question know, on a ball or something to get up to him <laughs> or how was how that work I, I like to see that part of it Actually, yeah. I mean, okay. If you're doing it, if you're filming it, you just have long one long strand and drop it down to a bucket. But logistically, in this reality, yeah, I'm not sure how he did that. <laughs> lower, maybe he did lower the bucket down. He was eating it he must at the have. same time. I mean, it would have taken quite. You think you know? You have to have a pretty good arm to throw a ball, even with spaghetti tied to it, to, it, to up to him on top of the lighthouse. So I'm guessing that's probably the most logical way. Yeah, and you're assuming that wet spaghetti will stay tied together. In the first place, so we're assuming uh, a lot, yeah. Yes, <laughs> but you gotta admit, there's a good, good variety of spaghetti in this episode. I mean, there's canned spaghetti, and now we're seeing cooked spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all the spaghettis, pretty much. It's a good variety. <laughs> <laughs> so Pete stops at one point. He lets the strand fall all the way down onto Bronson. Uh, he hears strange music playing from an unknown source, and that it, that's just kind of the end of it. So this was kind of just a running thing through series one, Hamish. Yeah, series one, two, I think series three and four also added something in there too. They had like a running theme. You know, it's just something, I guess, to tie the series together. Uh, and so every episode, up until the last episode, like the last episode was the one that revealed what the thing was, there'd be this music playing in series one, which was coming from a room in the lighthouse. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, because you know, it's a good mystery, because it's also part of the story as well. And it's good that they actually put this kind of stuff in there, because... Yeah, you'd have moments in series one where, like, the music would play and they'd get distracted by it and, like, did, uh, act like, did you hear that? And, no, and someone would say, what? So, you know, they had this kind of connection between episodes in series one. Series two, you had ghosts. Yeah, I noticed with the uh, one episode that I watched, because I watched a couple in preparation for this, and there was one, like you mentioned, where Bronson is, is kind of building up that terrible smell on his feet. Yeah. And so just in the middle of the story, you know, the father walks by and... Bronson is, you know, checking out the smell of his own foot, and, the, and Tony's like, "Oh, what's that smell?" You know, and it, that's, and then it just ends, you know. So it just, I guess, these scenes are supposed to be part of that overall arc that exists through each series. Yeah, in series two, you had uh, for a couple episodes Bronson not taking his shoes off and having that smell, yeah. uh, but also you had the ghosts as well. So he had these kind of, he had a double one in a strange way. It kind of kept you linked. I mean, it also, you know helped keep that kind of mystery about the show itself. Like, it isn't just, like, one mystery a week. There's something else going on at the same time. You know, there's always things happening in the universe of Round of Twist. Now, later back inside the lighthouse, we see Pete pressing the pause button on the remote, and that freezes the cat. This is Nell's cat named Bad Smell. And it took me a while to to hear exactly what they were saying. They were going, Bad Smell, Bad Smell. I'm like, what? 
Yeah, Bad Smell is the name of the cat. That's yeah. pretty funny. He's just hanging out on top of the TV, and then Pete casually... Strange enough, he hits pause, which, you know, if I ever pick up a remote, I'm usually either hitting the on for, on the TV, or, you know, you're hitting a channel. But he hits pause, which is one thing that's always confused me. I mean, it's a good sight gag where he sits in like clicks it and then all of a sudden you know the, he zaps the cat yeah it's frozen but it's like i have no idea to this day why he was pausing tv <laughs> well it was the play and the pause button were the same thing i mean some vcr you see that um or tvs you see that but um in this case obviously the play is a different button i, I think this is the, probably the funniest scene in the episode for me <laughs> that they, they assume the cat went to rigor mortis that quickly <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it becomes a, a, a stiff, lifeless uh, taxidermy cat. On top of the TV, staying there, and they, you know, <laughs> put it down, and they're listening to its heart. Oh no, it's it's dead. That, that was uh, that that was quite humorous. Yeah, the Tony, the father's like, all right, I'll, I'll go over, tell Nell, and give her the bad news. So, uh, yeah, they Pete stands up, and he tells Bronson and Linda that the cat froze in place because of this remote. You know, he's finally putting two and two together. And he presses play, and that reanimates it. I, I think this is the first time we've actually had hitting play on the show, hitting play. Hey! Oh, there we go. Yeah. Did it! <laughs> Our terrible name finally pays off. From a show <laughs> which was in, made in Australia. Yeah, in 1989. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bronson is now excited to play with this remote, and he makes a grab for it, but Linda tries to get it back, and they're, they're kind of having a tug-of-war, and it ends with Bronson pressing a button, and Linda is now frozen in place. Well, at least, we, she's supposed to be frozen in place. She does kind of move a little bit. <laughs> well, there's breezes that go through the lighthouse, and you have to account for that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Pushing her around a little bit, you know. I think it's cheaper when you just tell an actor, stand still. That's all you need. <laughs> Plus, you know, come on. We did, they didn't have all the fancy, amazing graphics as we do now. I mean, you know. I they're, know. Not, they're not like the TV show The Flash where, you know, the way they do it is when The Flash walks into a room, a guy with an air gun blows everybody in the scene and then they move <laughs> the camera over to the right. And look, The Flash is standing right there. <laughs> By the way, that's my favorite that's guy in that show. Yeah, it's a great show. Whoever whoever has the air gun is the best guy in that show. That's funny. I think his credit is air gun guy. Best boy. Yeah. Best boy. That's the job of the best boy? I think so. To do the air gun? Yeah, possibly. Or great. One of those guys. Maybe. That's my favorite trick on that show. So now Linda's frozen in place, and Tony and Nell enter the house, and Bronson and Pete quickly move to stand in front of their frozen sister. And Nell kind of inspects the cat, and she sees, yeah, it's perfectly fine. And she just storms out. (laughs) <laughs> and Tony's kind of standing there left confused so that, that's more of what you were saying Hamish where the, the older folks are kind of more oblivious and confused as things go on mm. yeah basically all the adults are kind of left to be chumps in the show they have no idea what's going on <laughs> except for anyone who's uh, an older type like a, uh, like Nell Nell has like you know obviously because she's the older character she has wise words mm-hmm. about certain mysterious things and that, and that happens in later episodes like one of the episodes, the Yuckles, she knows about. <laughs> Actually, if you, I don't want to spoil it. Go and fu- watch the episode, the Yuckles. It's a good episode. I don't okay. want to spoil it because Yuckles. it's actually a, it's a fun, just rollicking adventure. But no, she's a character who's uh, wise. So any of the other characters that middle ground of being an adult, yeah, they're just left to be dumbfounded by the mystery that's happening around them. <laughs> So Pete now wrestles the remote back from Bronson. He brings his sister Linda back to life. And Pete says, you know, this thing's dangerous. And of course, 
What do you do with something dangerous? We immediately cut to he and Linda sneaking over to their father's workshop and freezing him in place as he's working on a metal sculpture with an acetylene torch. And they're really doing it with glee, too. There's no... Yeah. They're having a good time. Now it's dangerous. Well, that's that's the point. It's like, this is really dangerous. What else can we do? You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Uh, exactly. That kind of moxie about the kids. It's like, what else can we do with this thing now? So as this happens, we see Miss Faye James, who is Bronson's teacher, and she's kind of Tony's love interest, Hamish, is that correct? That is correct. She pulls up in her white Volkswagen Beetle, and she enters the workshop to talk to Tony about an art auction that's coming up to benefit the school, if he's willing to, uh, you know, donate some pieces. So the kids are kind of watching through the window, like Sean said, with glee, but the blowtorch has now cut through the metal, and it's now burning through a rope... Which, through a system of pulleys, we see is holding a large metal cabinet from the ceiling. Is is that like a furnace or a safe? What is that thing? I, th- I assumed it was like a fridge or something like that. Okay. I thought it was like an art, yeah, a piece of art or something he's working on. It, it's a very, just a big piece of metal, that's all you need to know. And of course, the, the torch finally snaps the rope, sending it down from the ceiling, fortunately missing both Tony and Miss James, but clipping Tony just enough to pull his pants down. <laughs> uh, i'm not sure what he's wearing for underwear or lack of um, yeah like nothing you think they like here if they were gonna do something like that it would be like huge comedic boxer shorts you know yeah. he's, a, he's an artist he's allowed to express himself about the the physics of the uh remote other times we've seen it you know and we're gonna see it in the next couple of minutes where it's affecting people the, the device that they're working with is also affected. So in this case, the blowtorch keeps on doing its thing. You'd think the blowtorch would also be paused. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and not, you know, proceed to cut anything else. It would just be like a inert flame. But it, it, it's only uh, Tony who's, who's affected by this. He's paused, but the blowtorch keeps on doing its thing, which I found interesting. Well, maybe they need to pause the welding equipment as well. Well, you think it would affect... the One would affect the other, you know what I mean? Like, if he hits... It would affect not only him, but anything that he's in contact with. Possibly. Maybe you have to, you know, zap separate objects. Like, he's one thing, and then the object in his hand's another thing. We'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. I have another point when this comes up. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> so, Tony's standing there in front of Miss James with his pants down. Fortunately, he has that, you know, metal worker's apron down the front. And, uh, of course, Pete takes the opportunity to press repeat on the remote which makes his father pull up and take down his pants in front of Miss James over and over and over again. <laughs> this goes on quite a long time. It's just it's just the, the, the face that he makes when he's being rewound. Yeah, he's like yeah. very uh, joyful, it seems. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and, and everyone seems a little confused, but generally cool with what just happened it it's very odd uh miss james asks you know is your dad all right and pete replies he's been repeating himself lately yeah this is after they decide to snap out of it because i remember they're having too much fun he's like oh wait and he hits you know play again we 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 can't we can't get our father going to jail just yet so let's (laughs) let's hit for assault (laughs) and uh Sean and I had a conversation about this, like, repeat on a remote. Mm. Is that basically the last channel, like, a, a, the last channel you were on? That kind of button, maybe? Uh, what would that button do? Strange enough, my old VCR years ago had a repeat function, but it'd be like, 
Uh, and also some DVDs you can do it too. You know, if you've seen the DVD button, like you have to repeat, but repeat a certain, I guess like five seconds. Have you ever had that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, yeah. I remember our old VCR had a function like that, but yeah. it, it, it kind of like stops and then it's like, zzz. so there's usually a section of like, you know, you waiting for maybe like, you know, 30 seconds for it to rewind, then play again. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I think th- those functions do exist. I think uh, repeat, but you know, it's usually kept to a, a very tight programmed like 10 or 5 seconds or a minute, maybe. So we next cut that night at the new restaurant in town. And I think Tony mentioned this earlier about it's like a new spaghetti bar. Mm. And uh, so the twists arrive to eat dinner. This is kind of more in the city away from the, the lighthouse. And uh, we see at one table, Mr. and Mrs. Gribble. And at another, there's James and Tiger. Uh, once again, trying to get Rabbit to stuff his face in preparation of the big contest. It's like, of all places to go, this is the place they end up. Mm, the, the ongoing so, theme of spaghetti. Yes, more spaghetti. In fact, yeah, when Tony earlier mentions, yeah, we'll try that new spaghetti place, Pete's like, oh, no. <laughs> Just so happens it opens when they're about to have this contest, so it works out perfectly for everyone Of course. Involved. <laughs> so as the twists take their seats, uh, James pulls the remote, and the two begin to fight over it. Accidentally, the rewind button is pushed, and Mr. Gribble is uh, beginning to eat his steak dinner in reverse. He's like using his fork to pull food from his mouth and putting it back onto the plate. See, this is my my theory of the the physics of this device, how the wine goes back into the bottle from the glass. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, in this case, you know, it's, it's being affected by his actions and the rewind capacity. Which is interesting. Maybe because the wine was in his body yeah. at the time they hit rewind, so it goes back into the Maybe. glass and back into the bottle. I don't, I don't know. I, I like the. I love the look of Mrs. Gribble on there. <laughs> Jokes on her face as she's watching this. It cracks me up. <laughs> she's like horrified during the entire thing. Well, yeah. When your husband starts all of a sudden pulling food out of his body in a weird <laughs> manner, yeah, you you kind of question. It. I mean, the other thing about it, talking about your the the science behind this uh, magic. Uh, if she, like, he poured himself a glass of wine and then poured her one and then re- rewound that, he, would she need to put her glass of wine back in the bottle or, you know, to equal up the amount that's gone into the bottle? Or is he just regurgitating food back into a plate, onto a plate and on, into a bottle? Cause, yeah, you interesting. Know, you're sharing a bottle of wine, so would it be the amount that he took? And his actions would also pour the, like, pull the wine out of her glass back into the bottle. It would come off her body, even though she wasn't affected. Uh, that's uh, this is blowing my mind now. It's a scary thought. We're going yeah. to, we're going to uh, another realm here. But also, just to let you know, um, Gribble played in this scene uh, is played by Frankie J. Holden, who's a well-known Australian actor here in Australia. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, he's an actor and singer. Also, he presented uh, uh, many TV shows here in Australia as well, and is also part of the band uh, Old Fifty Five. This is Very just nice. for, that's for any Australians listening. Yeah, yeah, some star power here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, that's that's the, like that's uh, Frank J. Holden's again, well known in uh, Australian TV circles. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Like, see him on this show. This is when he was younger, obviously. Oh, mm. Obviously, it's in the past. What am I talking about? I'm, I'm just saying the most obvious things here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he popped up in a lot of Australian TV shows. So now, after seeing this uh, horrifying display of regurgitation, uh, the kids are seeing the remote's amazing potential for mischief. So James, Tiger, and Rabbit, they steal the remote, and they run out of the restaurant and into the night. And I guess the Gribble parents are kind of cool with that. (laughs) See you, kids. They seem to be, yeah. Yeah. I think they're still recovering. Let the kids run away. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the next morning, we see the Twist kids on the school bus, along with Linda's friend Fiona. And Pete tells them that, you know, even though the bullies have the remote, he has a secret weapon. And he holds up this, like, small handheld hand mirror, pretty much. Secret weapon. Well, secret weapon. He's assuming that the, it will be reflected by the mirror. Yeah. Based on nothing, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, we've all tried to reflect any kind of unseen energy towards us from a remote control. I mean, we can all do that, yeah. right? Yeah. Totally relatable. Yeah, we can, yeah, it's easy enough, especially his very small hand mirror, you know, on that specific <laughs> spot. Lightning, lightning can be reflected by, by hand mirrors. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, let me go try it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Hamish, the school bus here is green. Did you have uh, green school buses? We have a variety of different colored school buses. <laughs> I think for, they're all yellow here. Uh, well, specifically for that area, for um, I guess that time. No, that's the thing. It's like that, that's out in the country, uh, away from the city, and I'm from the city. So we had like not those types of buses. We had a variety of different buses, like national buses, but uh, the green and yellow, all green and gold. I guess in this point for Australia. Uh, we didn't have buses like that specifically. Again, it's more like, uh, that kind of bus is more your long distance drive across cross country kind of bus. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you'd see it in those kind of areas. Like, you know, but in Australia, we had just your typical standard buses. I don't know how else to describe that. They didn't look like your yellow buses, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Now the kids were all kind of wearing school uniforms as well. Did you have to wear school uniforms? Yes. I went to school. Well, we don't have them here. That's why I asked. You don't have uniforms? No. No. Really? Not at all. No, because like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. since uh, primary school uh, onwards to like high school, yeah, I had to wear uniforms. I mean, there are other schools well, where you didn't, you had the casual casual clothes uh, look, but um, school uniforms back in primary school days, yeah, were pretty pretty stock standard. Like, you know, you'd have the, the color of the school being either red, blue, green, or whatever. Uh, and mm -hmm. the jumpers are like pretty easily found like even today like that kind of uniform looks like the typical primary school uniform you'd see even in tv shows today you know you'd have like yeah a kind of monochrome color to scheme like you're either gray with a red jumper or a blue shirt with like black pants you know but no mm -hmm. yeah we had school uniforms yeah we, we should probably clarify we do have in the states um some of course public high schools and public schools in general mm -hmm. But there are some private schools, um, especially, I would say, religious ones, mm -hmm. like Catholic private schools, that do require uniforms, kind of like what we see in this episode. But all And those are, you know, paid for by parents, and it's something you have to pay for to go to a private school like that. A like an academy school. or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, typically, I haven't heard of... I mean, I'm sure there's a few cases where there is dress codes in public schools, but typically in the States, and myself working for a school system... <laughs> so I'm in the schools every day. It's a very lenient, casual um, dress code also. Um, administration actually really has to get on the kids to keep it <laughs> not so casual sometimes. Yeah. Believe it or not. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't know you guys didn't have uh, school uniforms. Yeah. I, it's just been something I've grown up with uh, my entire life. Yeah, did know it. The only show in which I think they had a lot of school uniforms was like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But that was like a... a that was like a private Private school, school yeah. Yeah. Where Will flipped his jacket inside out. <laughs> yeah, all that. Yeah, it was great. Yes, yeah, so that's the thing. Like we we have private schools here that do it, and high schools that still do have uniforms. Uh, I mean, there are again, we do have uh, high schools that you know don't require a, a uniform. But no, ever since primary school onwards, it's uh, for me. It's I've had school uniforms. You know, even hand me downs for my brothers. Oh wow. Hmm. You have the whole jacket and the whole thing. Uh, yeah, 
I remember going to uh, my high school and like I, my brother finished before me and I had his old school blazer jacket and it was pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like I'm wearing a, a curtain, basically. <laughs> mm. You know, when you're trying to be slightly cool, even though everyone's wearing a uniform, you want something that kind of fits, but when you're wearing, when you're wearing something which looks like, you know, you could be picked up with a strong breeze and pulled out of the school grounds <laughs> into the air. It, that, that's what it felt like. It just felt that big. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's interesting that you know you guys don't have it. Is there a reason why to not have uniforms? Uh, I think because of cost. That's what always comes down to. I would say. Yeah, I know. In our school system, when I you know when I was in school, uh, there was a, a debate at one point where they were considering instituting school uniforms. I think it's pretty much up to the school district. But like Sean said, because parents would be outraged if all of a sudden oh yeah now you have to pay for uniforms for your kids when previously there was never anything like that i think that's what is kind of preventing it but uh yeah Mm -hmm. it was just like sean said pretty much a dress code rather than a school uniform where it was like you know no hats no hooded sweatshirts keep it modest and you know that's pretty much it no you know no profanity obviously it's a, it could be an issue, and the same thing as Scott said. When I've heard these debates come up about instituting school uniforms, it does happen every few years. Someone brings it up. I think cost again is a major factor, but also you know the students start complaining about individuality and 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 being able to express themselves by what they wear, and they don't want to have to conform to a you know one kind of dress code, and it's the whole freedom of expression type thing comes up. But I, I, at the same time, it's good to be part of a team, though. I guess. I mean, you know, you can still be part of a team and still be unique, just like the X-Men. What did you yeah, expect, yeah. yellow spandex? <laughs> uh, that's that's never going to happen in a movie. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> so as the kids now exit the bus, they still see no sign of the bullies, but all around them there's, there's evidence. There, there's the school bus pulls away in reverse and through a busy intersection. The kids on the playground are trying to reach a basketball that's frozen in midair. We see a dog frozen in place, we'll say relieving itself. Spots McKenzie. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a, a scene we probably would not get on American television with the frozen stream of urine. Uh, we see a girl jumping rope at incredible speed, and then there's a girl running the flag up and down the flagpole. So even though this is all happening around them, the twists just don't see it. So we next cut to the kids at I guess this is music class or chorus, mm-hmm. and where James speeds up the music by zapping Simpson, the trombone player. And he's playing so fast that we see smoke coming from his instrument. <laughs> now, here's another example of the physics of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about this because the lightning bolt technically hits the trombone itself, not not the je- young gentleman, Simpson. Yeah. But, again, he's affected, just like the device is affected, by the, the faster playing. Mm. So, I, again, it's something that the whole unit... Him and the device are both affected by the um, the remote in this case. Yeah, I would I would uh, chalk that up to maybe the conductivity of the metal. Okay, Th- yeah, that's the only thing I could spin it as. <laughs> yeah, I I I'd, I'd agree with that. He touched metal. He's holding the metal. He got affected, and now his brain's working over capacity to play "Click Go to Shears Boys." Yeah, I was going to ask you about that song. What what song is that? Where they're saying "Click Click Click," "Click Go to Shears." Yeah, what is that? You. Were- it's called Click Go to Shears. Well, could you explain? Is that a song you sing in, in school? or? Yeah, yeah. Click Go to Shears, it's, it's a song that you do sing. I don't know if it's still sung today. That's a weird thing, because I remember singing it back in, yeah, chorus class or uh, music class. Yeah, it's best, It's about uh, shearing, sheep shearing. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Never heard it before. 
Oh, it's a it's a Australian song, but yeah, it's basically about a um, sheep shearers shearing sheep <laughs> and being really quick at it, and you know, knowing that they actually have to shear all these sheep and get them out because they have to get paid at the end of the day. Hence, the click click goes the shears. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. Do you guys have alouette, jante alouette? Yes, we do. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I'm trying to think of the closest <laughs> thing we I have mean, to I us. Mean, I mean, I'm, I'm like, as in, like, do we sing it casually on the street, or you know, it's it's an old classic Australian song. Yeah. <laughs> it's click go to shears, and it's also the VB theme music. That's those are the two songs that kids are singing. Is that the beer? Yeah, the beer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. Uh see, I, I I think that's a great joke, but now I have to explain it. There's a product in Australia called VB. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> see, see our previous episode with Hamish where we go over the Simpsons go to Australia, and that's all explained in that episode. Yeah, because that's my first episode. That's right. Nearly a year ago. Yeah, there's a callback. <laughs> so next we see Mr. Snapper. He's conducting the band, and he's zapped, and he too begins to rapidly speed up, and the kids really get a good laugh at, at his uh, very fast conducting. Now, Mr. Snapper here is played by Ebsen Storm. And mm-hmm. he was, uh, I guess, he's given co-writing credit with Paul Jennings. Uh, he helped adapt it for TV. Is that what it was? Yeah. He's basically, he had Paul Jennings stories, uh, and they worked together, and he was adapting it for TV. It, it's like, I guess, any of, like, let's, let's take something like the X-Men. They're very, they're very interesting stories in the X-Men comic books, and there are so many comic books, but then you have to compress all that down to maybe a half-hour format, or maybe like an hour-and-a-half format. So, and also you have to get rid of the stuff that people don't know about, like, you know, anything that isn't relevant to that particular story. Mm-hmm. But with this, I think with that, is he's just kind of, he helped cut it down and bring it down to a, a, a more, a quicker production sense of a way of telling a story. I don't know what happened to them. I think, he, you know, Paul James left just because of creative differences after series two. Yeah. But he actually, the guy played Snapper, he, he carried on being Snapper for series three. Yeah, and he continued to write the episodes in, in the absence of Paul Jennings. Oh, yeah. And, and I, well, because I was reading some of the, the recaps, and one of the notes on Wikipedia is that one of the stories was, like, the most controversial. It's where Pete urinates on a tree, and he gets impregnated by a wood nymph, which was, like, extre- <laughs> extremely controversial, even by the standards of this show. It was, like... Yeah, that was Series 3. Series 3 went in a, uh, an odd direction. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Because, (laughs) yeah, I mean, series three, because it weren't basing off the stories of um, Paul Jennings, yeah, they they, they kind of took a different flavor and they had a different kind of tone to them, (laughs) which, you know, they got into that realm of kind of being just bizarre for, I don't know, for the heck of being bizarre. That's that's like the after school special of uh, (laughs) Around the Twist, like you said about the teen pregnancy. Uh, Well, you're 93, it's because you got pregnant. Bronson also has an adopted baby later on, too, in, in another episode that I saw. Well, that's the one about adoption, yeah, so that's yes. different. Yeah. From a cabbage patch. Yeah, because that's where they come from. Did you not know that? That's where they come from. That's what Tony tells him. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other episode. Let's get back to this one. So anyway, Mr. Snapper, he's conducting like crazy, and Pete snatches the remote from James, you know, takes it back, and he runs out of the classroom. And so now James, Tiger, and Rabbit run after him. So now we get this sequence where Pete is being chased through the halls of his school and he's firing the remote just wildly behind him. And he, he nearly misses this teacher. She's holding a very, very tall stack of books. 
Uh, we also see Miss James uh, in her classroom. She gets hit, and she begins to write in reverse. And as she does, she's removing the letters with the chalk. And we see Bronson and his classmates witnessing this and beginning to murmur. Mm. As they're running out of the school entranceway, mm-hmm. and he's firing a remote back at them, I watched this a few times because I had to see it um, and see it in detail. When he fires back at Rabbit, and Rabbit's jumping in midair, he must have mirrors on his shoes because one of the, the beams bounces off his shoe, ricochets, <laughs> and, and hits you know the side of the building. So apparently his shoes are resilient to the effects of the uh, of the beam. Wow, interesting. I just wanted to you know, clarify that, and I, I did look at it in slow motion, and sure enough, it does hit his shoe when he's in midair. Huh. So as the chase moves outside, Pete accidentally zaps, I I guess this is the groundskeeper, he's a man that's digging, just kind of digging a hole for no reason in the dirt outside, and he's starting to shovel in fast motion. So we cut back to the music room, we see that the school nurse is now standing over poor Mr. Snapper, who's now lying on his back and just profusely sweating as he's continuing to conduct at a very rapid pace. I mean, the kids are cracking up. I mean, the poor guy could be stroking out for all he knows. (laughs) Yeah, they find it funny. (laughs) Also, it's interesting to note that they do explain certain the the the, uh, length of how long these effects last. They last for about was it five minutes and they stop. I think it's like five minutes or he says a minute when they're walking into the school. He explains that it lasts for about a couple of minutes. Like I think I believe was five minutes and then it stops. Okay. Yeah, I was curious about that because I didn't catch that. And I was wondering, I was going to mention, you know, do they have to go back and and find everyone like the flagpole girl and and stop her or or did it wear off over time? So Hmm. that's good Hmm. to know that they wouldn't have to go and and fix everything after this was done. No, because, yeah, because he was explaining when they're walking through and all that stuff's happening behind them. Yeah, he says like, oh, last for like five minutes and then, you know, you go back to normal. Hmm, That's good. (laughs) So the bullies catch up to Pete near, I guess this is like a track and field meet and causing one of the high jumpers to fly across the bar, back and back, over and over. This is pretty funny. It's something, uh, I don't think we've ever had uh, gymnastics meets like that in high school. Not in my high school, anyway. You didn't have, like, a PE class? Not like that. Yeah, no, that was a specialized track thing. I don't even know if they did the, what is that called? They called the pole, not the pole vault, but the uh, high high jump, jump, right? High jump, yeah, I don't think. You never did high jump? No. No. I did it. We did like, like climb the rope. <laughs> climb the rope. Dodgeball. Dodgeball, um, yeah. What else would we get? Um, sit-ups, push-ups. Sit-ups, push-ups. Basketball. And, and actually now in some schools, the budget's been cracked down so much for PE stuff that they have to meet a certain requirement per year, all the kids in the school. So the administration's answer to that is to have the kids walk around the school twice a year a few times. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. And that's how they wow. fulfill the requirement by the, the government of their PE. Wow. It's by doing a couple of laps around the school. And uh, oh, there you go. That's it. So we're in a rough situation here. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the education got to the point where they couldn't afford the E, but they could afford the P. They could afford some of the P. None some of the P, E. But... <laughs> no E. Guys, no E it's at time all. for physical. All right. Just physical. <laughs> we get some physical. Like half a P. Let's put it that way. Uh. So, Rabbit now pulls the remote from Pete's grasp and tosses it to James, who now takes advantage of this opportunity to aim the remote at Pete, now that he's kind of, like, lying down and and vulnerable, and and Rabbit's really egging him on. Yeah, do it, do it, get him, yeah. But just as he fires, Pete takes out his secret weapon, that mirror, and it causes the beam to hit Rabbit instead, and that freezes him in place. (laughs) 
And that's just uh, just enough for Pete to make a break for it, and we see James and Tiger give chase. Pretty funny. I forget shocked. Yeah. It's like, oh, rabbit. <laughs> like he didn't do anything. He's just standing there. <laughs> it, rabbit has an earring, also. We know that in this uh, the scene. Hmm. Yeah, jerks have earrings in this show. Yeah, but like how how emotionally invested they are, though, you know, with their friendship. I mean, even though they're they're especially villainous kids, they do care about each other. Sure. Displayed by that reaction when their friend gets frozen in time. Well, they need him to win the the contest, too, so... They do, but he also cares for him as well. That's right, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, as Pete now finally gets away, we see Mr. Snapper in the background being taken away in an ambulance. It's just the hands still going like crazy. And finally, we see the teacher holding that tall stack of books from the beginning of the sequence. We see her fall into the giant pit made by the fast shoveling groundskeeper. So it all kind of tied in together. I'm glad that payoff was there. Yes. You know. <laughs> it dovetailed quite nicely. Yes. So later on, back at that barn, we, we see the bullies going over their plan. We, we see that, well, Tiger will judge the contest, James will coach, and Rabbit will eat. Doesn't really seem like a team plan, more just like Rabbit's still going to do all the work, but... But the plan is that after Rabbit eats 10 plates or bowls of spaghetti, James will then zap Rabbit with a remote, using the fast-forward to ensure a win. And just then, they kind of hear something, and they, they run over to the hay bales, and the camera pans down, and we see that this is where Bronson is hiding, and he's quiet enough not to be discovered. So, cutting back to the lighthouse now, we see Linda is, is sitting there with Pete, trying to dissuade him from eating at the contest. She's planning on picketing the event for being a waste of food, you know, she's very much against the ethics of this. And uh, she tells him, you know, James is probably going to use that remote to cheat anyway. So, you know, really not even worth participating. One room is on one level and another room is on another level. It's like, just, we'll go into one room, just hang out. And plus, they can't talk about this stuff with their dad. He's no idea. Do all of them share a bedroom, Hamish? No, they have, uh, I'm trying to think of the layout from the episodes. I think there's, Bronson's bedroom is one level, then there's another level, and then there's, I think Linda's another level, and then there's like a bathroom or toilet in between there, (laughs) and I'm guessing the dad's room is somewhere there, so I'm trying to think of the layout, but like, yeah, usually, what I remember from the show, it's like they they all have their rooms on different levels. Okay. Okay. Just Uh, wondering about that, because we only see one bedroom, I think, in this episode. I think it's more just because it's easier to shoot in one place. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, you know, Pete and Linda here, they're taking the time to, to talk about this. And Linda tells Pete, you know, they're probably just going to take the remote and hit rewind when Pete is full. So, you know, they're going to sabotage him. That's what she thinks their plan is. But just then, Bronson enters the room, telling them he knows exactly what James is planning to do. So we next cut to the spaghetti pig out at the school gymnasium. <laughs> Linda and her friend are chanting, only pigs pig out. <laughs> And I think one of them is holding a sign that says 35,000 people die from starvation every day. So, yeah, they're very much against the, uh, you know, the ethics of wasting food in this way. I remember this is all for was it, a good cause and to win a mountain bike. Yeah, and the whole premise of this is that Gribble's father donated a 10-speed bike. And so I guess Gribble wants his friend to win it, and I guess all three of them will share it. I mean... <laughs> no, it doesn't seem. It's from his dad. Any, it's like your dad can get you a bike. I mean, it must it's... be the principle of the thing, I guess, or just to make sure the twists don't get it. Yeah, pretty much that kind of thing. Where it's like, you know, we don't want any scummy kids getting these stuff. <laughs> They'll probably get the bike and just, you know, 
trash it anyway, throw it away, you know. Exactly. Just it's just principle. <laughs> so now at the event, Tony Twist takes his seat amongst the crowd, and he's really wedging himself between Mr. Snapper and Miss James. Uh, was there kind of a thing where Mr. Snapper liked Miss James? Is is there that kind of scenario going on here, Hamish? Uh, I think lightly throughout the first series. Uh, in series two, he just seems to be like a work colleague friend of hers. Okay. But in, I think, series one, that kind of slight flirtation. But it's like, you know, because he's such a straight-edge teacher, and, you know... You have this artist, amazing, crazy, kooky artist who comes up trying to be suave but failing, but yet for some reason still charming her. I don't know how that works. <laughs> so yeah, it was just, it was just that, that kind of like you need like that moderately small love triangle, I guess, in a way. But, you know, it, it, was, it was never going to win for Snapper. Yeah. I mean, look at him. He's got a mustache. Who does he think he is? Ned Flanders? <laughs> <laughs> the bow tie, too. Don't forget that. Ah, uh, bow tie has a respectable job. Ridiculous. Yeah. Who does he think he is? So here we get the scene where, where Tony is quite loudly, he's not whispering, he's apologizing in front of everybody at a school. Yeah, I'm sorry about pulling my pants down in front of you earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Snapper's hearing this about this for the first time, very shocked, you know? He's like, something came over me. He's like, yeah, I bet it did. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> And Miss James is still pretty cool with everything that happened, even though she doesn't know about the remote or anything. To her, it's just like, oh yeah, he just felt like doing that a bunch of times, and yeah, that's okay. <laughs> anything goes. Uh, so, anyway, the event begins now as Tiger welcomes all in attendance and shows off the grand prize, that of course, 10-speed bike, and announces the competitors. So, they all come in wearing robes like they're boxers, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So, first is Pete which he introduces him as Termite Twist, takes the stage along with Bronson. And so second is a girl named Tanya. Third, we get Bessie, which he refers to as the bottomless pit. She's my favorite character in this episode. She's great. Just and, the look on her face, she's like, uh. <laughs> she, she, She's ready for action. And, and finally, Rabbit the Ravisher? Yeah. Tiger next issues the contest rules. So basically, one, the winner is... The contestant that eats the most bowls of spaghetti in 10 minutes. Two, all bowls must be scraped clean. And three, no spewing. Simple <laughs> enough. He also mentions, too, that they must keep their meals down for 10 minutes after the competition has finished. Otherwise, they're disqualified. So it's not like you can just hold it down, you know, and then the timer's done and then you can just puke. No, you have to hold it in for 10 minutes. And I like how they don't have an official timer. They just kind of wait till it turns 4 o'clock. <laughs> thank, yeah. thank god they, they didn't miss it you know <laughs> I guess wait, till, wait till 405 now okay that's part of that gym renovation they're gonna get a new timer <laughs> yeah no no one had a timer at all so it's like no one has a watch no one has like a Casio they couldn't do anything so it's like well, just look at the clock right but also if he at the beginning of it he hasn't you know it doesn't really start in a normal way he just drops spaghetti yeah yeah <laughs> that's how he starts things drop spaghetti let's go <laughs> I mean, as we all know here in Australia, before there was the mic drop, there was a spaghetti drop that kind of, <laughs> of course. let you know that it was on. Oh, I see. Okay, so that's that's the origins of it. Yeah, it's a complete reversal of mic drop. You're not finished. You're about to begin. When someone walks in <laughs> with some spaghetti and drops it down, you know something's about to happen. Uh, I know what I'm going to do at the Olive Garden. <laughs> as soon as I serve it up to you, like, time to drop some spaghetti. Ah! Ah! ah. Well, that's, how you, that's how you request more bread. Breadsticks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drop spaghetti in the floor. 
How do you request more bread at, let's say, Outback Steakhouse? Um, um, they don't serve bread at Outback Steakhouse, I don't believe. Yeah, Bushman's bread. They do? Yeah. <laughs> they call it Bushman's bread. It's like a dark honey loaf that they give to you on a, on a cutting board with a steak knife. Just just saying it like that doesn't make it Australian. So wait, they couldn't come up with, like, damper? I don't believe they call it that, no. Really? They just call it Bushman's bread? Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> Now, keep in mind, our Outback is now a Mexican restaurant, so it's, it didn't last. <laughs> you have to do your best Paul Hogan um, imitation to get uh, bread refills. I, I think we talked about this in the Simpsons episode, so, you know, again, go back to that for more of a discussion of Australian culture with Hamish. But uh, they had coasters that said Chase Fries Plays, and it's all <laughs> spelt out. It's like, this is how you order cheese fries like an Australian. It's like, oh, I just, I feel so offended. For you know, for everybody in Australia, I I do f- still feel offended after hearing that. As you should. But uh, but also, I don't know how to do a Paul Hogan impression. Apparently, <laughs> how do you do a Paul Hogan impression? Call that That's a knife. That's not a knife. Yeah. This is a knife. Can you do a Mel Gibson impression? That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. That's not a weapon. This is a lethal weapon. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this. Dan <laughs> uh, Glover. Yeah. No, sorry. Well, you tried, and good. Well, well, he only has like two lines in Mad Max. What was it we say in Mad Max? Like, I need more. I'm looking for gasoline or something. Oh, in the second one. Yeah, the second one. It's the guy with the <laughs> big mask, who's a, uh, the leader of that. Um, they go to the uh, the outpost where the gasoline is. That, that's that's Lord Humongous. Lord Humongous. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, just walk away, or what did he say? What's his his uh line there? Walk away, leave the gasoline. No one gets. Yeah. Out, walk away. Thing. Just walk away. <laughs> and that little kid comes out and throws a boomerang and, and whacks a girlfriend in the head. Great movie. Mm. It's a great movie. It's not around the twist, but yeah. All, All right, right, back to it. I'm lost. So let's get back. <laughs> So now, back to the episode here. As the clock strikes four, we see James takes his seat in the front row of the audience. He's got that remote ready to go, and the four competitors begin to furiously eat. We see that Tiger's just red in the face. He's running around and providing a running commentary while people from the audience are cheering the kids on. Tiger is perfect for this. You know, what a showman. Mm. Mm. They carry that over to the, the second series as well. They had a different actor playing the character. I mean, strange enough, the next actor playing that character kind of fit the bill of like a larger, the, the, like the fatter character. Strange mm-hmm. enough, it, it's weird that they kind of sh- they shook things up for the second series because you know instead of being like, oh, the fat character is a dumb character, it's like no, now he's the mouthy character. Huh. You know, he's the he's the one that's going to be talking. And strange enough, in series two, he provided commentary to everything he did. Like if he was chasing after Pete Twist or uh, Bronson, he'd talk back in a kind of a sports announcer kind of way. <laughs> Strange. Yeah, it's it's hilarious stuff to watch. So now bowls are being finished and replaced. We see there's numbers on the front of the tables that are being increased. And so five minutes in, we see poor Bessie, the bottomless pick, collapses, <laughs> working only on her sixth bowl. And uh, they attempt to carry her out in a stretcher, but no, she's a little too heavy. And, and what does she say? She says something to Tiger. She had 12... What did she have for breakfast that morning? Practice bowls. Oh, 12 practice bowls. That's funny. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what? I had, it's like, I can't understand it. I had 12 practice bowls. You know, like, like, yeah, just, uh, 12 bowls to practice. That's funny. Yeah, so she ate before she ate. So next, Tanya quits, and she takes Bessie's place on the stretcher, and then Bessie just gets up and helps carry her out. <laughs> what a team player. Bessie. 
Do we see Bessie uh, later on in the series, or was this just her one appearance? Uh, I think this is a one-off, unfortunately. That's funny. Unfortunately, she was she was a star in the making right there. Funny character, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now, of course, it's just down to Rabbit and Pete. And they continue to eat, and Rabbit is leading only nine bowls to seven at this point. So, of course, I, I think Rabbit kind of gives a look to James or a wink or something, and uh, James presses fast-forward on the remote, zapping Rabbit and sending him into absolute overdrive. And the Gribbles cheer him on as he eats at super fast speeds, just pulling away from Pete. The crowd is now watching in awe. We get cuts of the crowd just, you know, they can't believe what they're seeing. His total increases from 12 to 13, 14, then up to 20, and Pete is only at 8. But also if you look at, like, the audience are kind of shocked about it in the way, like, they all kind of have, like, a slight gasp, like... What's yeah. going on here? <laughs> but then you have like Tiger who's still like going, Oh, look at this. He's going to another bowl. It's amazing. <laughs> like, he knows what's going on. He's really overselling this, you know? Yes. It's like, Oh, he's, he's just going showman. to the next bowl. Yeah. He's, he's really trying to cover his tracks, knowing that, you know, he's part of this devious situation. So now Rabbit passes 25 bowls, and Tiger remarks in that, you know, enthusiastic amazement that now he's setting national and international records, adding that Australia is showing the world how it's done. (laughs) So he finishes his 27th bowl, and the 10 minutes is now up. But Rabbit doesn't stop. You know, he can't stop. So James presses play on the remote, bringing Rabbit back to normal, but now he is just stuffed, like, literally. His stomach is distended, and the shirt buttons are popping off, and he's just absolutely sick. So he's declared the the winner, but he's very visibly queasy. Very good acting here by this, uh, by this young man. So James runs up. Grabs his lips. Grabs his mouth, yeah, holds it closing. Please don't, don't. <laughs> Well, that was, that was before because he wins and everyone's like, oh, you know, excited. And like, you know, when he starts having his tummy up- upset, uh, you know, Ty comes out and he goes like, uh, I was like, you okay? Like, kind of like, it's like, oh, there seems to be an upset. You know, he, and he puts the microphone to his stomach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so everyone can, can hear his guts turning. And it's like, oh, it's a big upset. And, you know, that's when, yeah, James gets up. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, you know, mate, don't spew it. And, you know, freaks out. <laughs> Because remember, they're, they're, re- they're reveling in the fact that he's won and, you know, yeah. you know, he's won this bike. But at the same time, yeah, he's slowly starting to build up. Like, everything's slowly starting to catch up with him. And the Gribbles are begging, they're, they're shouting, they're begging Rabbit not to spew on the crowd. But the, the pressure of the upset stomach, it's just too much now. And we get this great shot from a low angle of Rabbit projectile vomiting spaghetti all <laughs> over the entire crowd. <laughs> And it's tons. And he evidently did not chew. This is fully formed spaghetti and marinara. And it's we, we cut to the audience, the Twist family. They're completely oh, covered. The just gribbles. the looks on their faces is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> They've been through a through a war. It's disgusting. And they can't they're not even disgusted. They just sit there like, yep, that just uh, happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just the amount of spaghetti everywhere. Just you know, it's just so funny. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's solidly caked in it as well, yeah. And everyone's just, like, shocked and appalled. Especially when you see a kid explode with that much force to cover an entire audience. It's like, holy heck. Especially James, because we cut to him and he's flat on his back, just covered. All you see is his hands and his head. He's he's right at the epicenter, you know. Yeah. He he actually deflected most of it onto himself, while the rest of it sprayed everywhere else. (laughs) He took the bullet for the rest of the (laughs) audience. (laughs) 
So James still has the remote in his hand, so Pete slowly walks over and takes the remote from James's hand and aims it at Rabbit. And now Rabbit is begging for mercy, saying, no, no. But we cut to the Twist family and we see Linda and Bronson, you know, with big grins saying, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a reversal of when Rabbit was egging James on earlier. So Pete, of course, agrees with his siblings, also saying yes, and presses rewind on the remote. So Rabbit screams as the camera zooms in on his open mouth. And from there, we cut to the closing credits. <laughs> Great ending. Yes, very good. Uh, now, does this... Rabbit die? Is this his last episode? Did that kill him, or does he appear in later episodes? <laughs> no, unfortunately, they didn't murder him. Okay, just checking. <laughs> he didn't explode when the spaghetti went back into him. Because this show gets no. away with a lot more than uh, shows I'm used to, you know, that I was used to growing up, so. No, he survives the next couple of episodes, yeah. Good. Well, you think if the spaghetti was going back into his stomach, then it would eventually... If he's still in rewind mode, go back out into the balls. That's yep. true, yeah. And then you're back right. into the pots. So it's really doing everyone a favor by doing that. And well, everyone could up. eat it. And everyone could eat it and have a good spice spaghetti dinner. Yep. <laughs> I think everyone's over spaghetti by that time. Uh. I really enjoyed how they have some uh, delayed scenes here in the credits, or some additional scenes, I guess. Yeah. That they must have. Yeah, like the alternative takes and things like that. Yeah, yeah. We have the one scene of the girls doing uh, hopscotch during the whole scene where they're going through the school and this everything strange is happening with the uh, uh, rewinding and fast-forwarding. The girls doing hopscotch and repeating her hopscotch back and forth. And what I thought was interesting was the books coming out of the hole yes. that the teacher <laughs> fell into. Because <laughs> mm. the guy's still digging and he's like digging up all the books there. <laughs> he's gone through the woman, gone through the teacher and is, you know... <laughs> proceeding he's digging, to Ch- yeah, he's digging all the way to China yeah of course assumedly because obviously China is every every other point yeah no I think well aren't aren't we like right right through the earth where, from you Hamish uh, if I start digging now possibly in fact Sean and I because we were watching Round the Twist at his house uh, mm. we, we also got into this whole uh, rabbit hole uh, where we were watching all these old Nickelodeon game shows and we watched uh, some game show where they, they had commercials from the 90s, and one was baseball cards. And oh, yeah. They ended up, for some, I don't even remember what the premise was, but it was Don, like Don Russ baseball cards, and they dug through the earth, and at the end, you see all these Australian kids like, oh, thank you. Were the Chinese kids? <laughs> no, they were Australian. Oh, they were Australian, yeah. What were they <laughs> doing? Uh, well, I, somehow they went through the earth, and the kids, the Australian kids caught the baseball cards that fell through the hole. I think it was because like the baseball cards were so hot or something. Oh, that's that, exactly that what was it was. The whole premise. Yes, it it burned through the kid's uh, glove and went through yeah. the earth all the way to Australia, where kids that have no interest in that sport or those players uh, just politely thanked the Americans for a terrible gift. It, w- it wasn't sarcasm, like oh, geez, thanks. <laughs> they seemed actually pretty uh, pleased to get them for some reason. Yeah, well, you can they still had... put them in the spokes of your bike. Yeah, that's true. You can still do that. I mean, but yeah, I think it was footy cards, you know, Australian football cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd be more excited at that time, but yeah, I, I, baseball cards, yeah, <laughs> completely useless to us. Just as footy cards would be completely useless here. I mean, that would be the same principle. Well, maybe. There are some collectors out there. <laughs> 
I, I don't know, maybe. But yeah, at the end of credits, they had the alternative scenes. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, I, I noticed that too, Sean, where, uh, you know, it's like, I was watching it and I'm going, okay, yeah, some more scenes from the show. And then, oh, I don't remember the girl playing Hopscotch. And I remember the books coming out. So yeah, yeah. it was kind of cool that they do that. Kind of like that whole, um, was it like, like in the movie, end of, end of Cannonball Run. <laughs> they play like, you know, either outtakes and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, because this is before you had DVDs and before they started putting them as special features and things like that. No, they just include it in the show. Because I think there's also a scene where um, uh, Rabbit, you know, is frozen and then the kids run off and then he kind of looks at the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, you know, he's not exactly frozen. He's just standing there. Right, right. So that does it for that episode of Round the Twist. Very, very interesting. Really great that we got a chance to see the show that otherwise we would have never seen. So, uh, Sean, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts now upon visiting this uh, this series for this episode of the podcast? No, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was definitely uh, different than the American shows I watched as a kid with, with a similar kind of premise. Um, but I like the fact that it was kind of uh, gritty and had the, you know, disgusting factor on it. <laughs> my, you know, I think one of my kids was watching it with us, Ray Scott, if I remember correctly. Yep. And he really enjoyed it. And, you know, he was around the age that I would have been when it was on. So I, I, I definitely want to watch some more episodes, especially after Scott told me he watched he watched a few episodes. And there's some interesting things that happened some other ones. So, yeah, it's, uh, it'll be on my playlist. And it was just hilarious. Yeah, I agree. It was it's a hilarious show and they they got away with so much and like Hamish gave me a kind of a list of best doves to to check out in preparation as well for this episode. And so I was watching uh, which one a copycat was the episode where yeah. I was shocked to see yeah, that they have a dog eating excrement, but not only that, well, you know, spoiler alert for this episode, but one of the children, I think it's James, you know, uh, get under mind yep. control, has to copy what the dog does, and he sticks his face into a pile of horse excrement and begins eating. And they not only have him do that, but they show it. And I was like, whoa, this is something still to this day would not be on American television. You know, it's no, just... Oh, yeah. That would be totally taboo. Yeah. Mm. They could show murders and everything else, but, you know, slapsticky kind of comedy like that is totally forbidden. I, I, I took uh. a screenshot and I sent it to Sean and Lily. I said, yeah, this would never be made here. I, I was dying when I saw that. It oh, it's hilarious. It me up. I was like, you got, I mean, because it wasn't even like they, they alluded to him eating uh, horse feces or anything like that. They, yeah. It was out there. I mean, it looked like horse feces. It looked... Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even want to know how they finagled that or, or did the actual special effects on that. But It's Vegemite. It's Vegemite. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's, there's a, an episode where um, it's in series two, I think, I think second time around, uh, or se- or second time, second chance, whatever, where Linda's learning hypnotism. It hypnotizes Pete to be a chicken. <laughs> but every time that anyone would say now, like she screwed up a little bit and said, if... When she says, or if anyone says now, he acts like a chicken for like, you know, 30 seconds, <laughs> which gets him into trouble at school because, uh, the, you know, James Gribble and the boys keep saying now to him and he keeps acting like a chicken in class and gets in trouble. And as he's walking out of the school, they set up three uh, snails for him and they go now. So he acts like a chook and he starts eating the snails. <laughs> mm. Yeah, right. Oh, I got to see this one about the urinating and the uh, impregnation by uh, a tree nymph, because that sounds fantastic, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just goes to show, like, you know, you said, Scott, how 
I, I really appreciate not only Australian, but British media and television because they can get away with more. But not for crudeness, but mm-hmm. just entertainment value where stuff like that in the United States is just totally... It's such a double standard because there's so much implied sexual content, I would say, mm-hmm. on, on United States uh, television. And also the violence is, is crazy. But then you get something that just kind of gross out funny and it's like, oh, I can't do that, you know? Yeah. I would never, ever see anything like this. I mean, we we said before, this is the comparison to kind of like PBS for us. Mm-hmm. For, well, that would never fly ever on PBS. No. But even like a Nickelodeon or a cable station, they would never do that. Anything close to that, it's just, it's just considered too outrageous. It's just really bizarre to me that, you know, like I said, the, the, the standards and the double standards are there. And it's, it's just weird, but... Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I appreciate you, Hamish, for, for suggesting it, because I think it's a great show. I think I'm, I'm not surprised it lasted so long now. I, yeah, it's it's definitely a winner, and, and thank thank goodness for YouTube, that we have all these episodes on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, an official Round the Twist channel on YouTube with yeah, full archives. Yeah. The fact that it has been taken down by ABC or whoever owns the, the rights to it in Australia is, is amazing. I think it's theirs. I think they have it, but it's region-locked because Hamish couldn't access it. But yeah, it's strange enough. I can't get to that YouTube channel. It's just kind of a few of the episodes, but nothing of the old classic series, which hmm. just seems odd. Yes. But well, what are your thoughts? Uh, and then the entire show, yeah, it's part of my childhood growing up. And that's the thing where you look at the kind of dumbing down of kids' shows, strange enough. Like, I'm not saying they're, too, they're like incredibly stupid or anything like that, but they're safer these days. Mm-hmm. And because they want to sell them to different markets and they want to be very uh, open so people don't misinterpret things. You know, it's like when you have the American version of an Australian TV show. When it gets remade, some of the sensibilities of what made that show good kind of disappear and some of the, you know, dark humor is gone as well. So with a show like Round the Twist, yeah, it was fun to watch as a kid because you think that, you know, even though it's a kid's show, it still had the kind of darker, more adult humor hidden within it, mm-hmm. but also allowed it to be exactly what it wanted to be you know it was a show about kids kind of dealing with strange things happening in their town and they usually followed it in the logical path of kids my age at that time watching the show you know how else would you deal with things you know they never really asked for help from any adult they kind of dealt things on their own so it kind of gives kids the idea that you know you can take on these crazy insane situations as long as you have courage and can deal with it and you know you believe that you can solve these problems and that's the thing it's like you know the characters also had to in certain episodes had to go through certain trials as well especially i think it was in little episode series two little squirt i believe of bronson <laughs> who, who befriends a water spirit and if you watch the entire episode like, the reason for why that episode is interesting is because it is a very uh I want, how do i put it unfortunately it's a bronson's in a gentleman's competition in a bathroom showing who could urinate higher than the other person. <laughs> That's real. I mean, we've all had those competitions. Let's Very gentlemanly, yes. yes. Yes, there there is a term for that, which I'm not going to use them because I'm sure you, you know... Yeah, I, you know, you don't want to call it that kind of contest, but that's the that that's the, the whole premise of that story. But there's still trials that Bronson had to go through to let's say achieve a certain goal within that piece of work. But yeah, I mean, the episodes were great, and they had a vast variety of different storytelling flavors to them. I guess you call it where it's like you know you can be brave and you can be strong and you can be you know scared at the same time, but 
you know, you have to rationally deal with things and at the end of it, you'll, you will be rewarded, but by just being a good person, just be a good person. <laughs> That's what I took away from, you know, the entire series of, uh, Rantus was, you will face challenges in your life and those challenges will be uncanny and amazing. But as long as you rationalize and try and take it on and the best of your abilities, you'll come out the other end, you know, better than you were before. All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, how many bowls you can eat, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Do you guys have anything you want to plug? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter. I don't tweet much, but um, feel free to make me a favorite or whatever you do on Twitter. Uh, my handle is weasel, W-E-A-Z-E-L, 1978, and you'll see some of my, my rantings. Also, um, I have a YouTube channel. Actually, it belongs to Scott somewhat, too. Um, it is Three Blind Mice. We haven't posted anything on it in a while, and we do Minecraft stuff on it. But I have been recently putting, posting um, videos on it with my son. So we're doing a father-son Minecraft survival game or survival map. So check that out. Three Blind Mice is a channel, and I think that's it. Very nice. Uh, well, if you want to find me, you can find me on... Twitter at Silent Hamish, and Instagram Silent Hamish, on Facebook at Silent Hamish Arts. You can find me on Vine, Silent Hamish. Uh, I really got to post myself up on Vine because I've been sidetracked. And, <laughs> you know, Vine's great and all, but, you know, it can get a little bit tiresome in certain areas. And if you want to find more about Round of Twists, you can actually find the DVDs, go online. You can also read the books that Paul Jennings wrote, like the short story collection. Basically, they all have a U at the beginning of it, like either unreal, unbelievable, uncanny, unbearable, unmentionable, undone, uncovered, unseen, and also tongue-tied and quirky tales. <laughs> uh, you can also get a Round of Twists graphic novel from his website. If you go to Paul Jennings's personal website, you actually can get a book of Round of Twists. They did a one-off kind of graphic novel with, I think, three of the stories, one of them being Pink Bow Tie, that you can buy today. So if you're still interested in Round of Twists, you can still find all that stuff online. Very cool. And also, you know, if you ever want to check out other stuff made by the Australian Children's Television Foundation, uh, yeah, you can go to the website and check out what they've got. Because there are other, a lot of great Australian television shows that they've actually produced and created. Uh, another one called Little Elvis Jones and the Truck Stoppers, I remember, being an animated series. <laughs> hey, if you look it up, again, the titles speak for themselves, but they've made so many great shows, I remember, growing up as a kid. So if you want to check them out, or if you have an interest, interest in uh, what Australian children's television looks like, yeah, just check out their website at the uh, Australian Children Television Foundation. Nice. Uh, I am on Twitter as well. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. And I'm also on Vine. There, my name is also MC and Friends. And there I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. You can follow me there. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can also be found on TuneIn Radio. And for Android users, we are also on the Google Play Music app. So check us out on those platforms as well. Well, we have been Hamish, Sean, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Eat a salad. Because you know what I keep eating spaghetti? All those carbs. I mean, all those carbs. Are you tired of going to those regular clubs where the people don't let you in? And basically, it's not so good inside. Like, you know, a club should be, you know, good nightclubs and stuff, you know? What you need to do is get down to the Hitting Play Nightclub. Called 
Club Z. Now you're probably thinking, you know, what's different about this place? Hey, we've got everything you love, you know? Low level lighting, some sounds, and you can get down. I mean, physically get down. We've got wall to wall beds. You heard me right, beds. So you can max relax or just chill and be ill. Just like anybody else on this planet. You know what I'm saying, Chief? All you gotta do is enter the club, get yourself a bed, and then time to enjoy some of the smooth low levels music and sounds and stuff of a place which is basically at a big old space to sleep in. But it's not, because here's the thing, it's not club. That's what it's listed as. Don't think it's different than anything beyond that. But here's the thing, while you rest and relax in this not club, as it's listed, you can get down with our resident DJ, DJ Insomnia. They'll be mixing up the medicine for your ear holes, playing the classics tunes just like Beach. Maybe a little bit of something spicier, such as Winds Over the Desert. Maybe a little bit of another classic you might have forgotten about, such as Rain in the Forest. You seriously cannot prepare yourself for the amount of chilled excitement that you are going to experience at Club Z, sponsored by The Hitting Plate. Now you're probably thinking, whoa, 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 low lighting, smooth sounds, but there's something missing. That's right, we do have drinks. Great drinks, in fact. You wouldn't expect this at any other club. Head over to our bar, and one of our mixologists will create you an infusion of hot water and tea, called tea. You can pick from all the flavors. Hey, you like Earl Grey? You like some Darjeeling? You like some English breakfast? Hey, sky's the limit, buddy boy. Forms if you're not into the hardcore stuff like tea, and you want to sleep towards the dreamland that you've accessed in your mind palace so many times before. Hey, we understand you. Because we can give you a nice warm cup of cocoa to get you there, buddy boy. So get on down and you can expect so much more at Club Z, sponsored by the Hitting Play Podcast. The experience is the experience of the mind. I'm not sure where that came from, but a guy was saying in his sleep and I thought it was ridiculous. 